This evening we have two readings. Our first reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. And our second reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me surpasses me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Our second reading, 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is God's word. Thanks, uh, AJ. Uh, evening, everyone. Just keep me on your toes there. John 1, 1, and 1, John 1, 1, 1. It is 1, John. Uh, that we're spending time in uh, this term, but uh, much overlap uh, with John's gospel in many ways, same author, uh, many themes occur. So uh, you should have that read uh, in the beginning. Let me lead us in prayer again. A great God and Father, we thank and praise you for the word proclaimed to us, uh, the word about the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we pray we'd respond rightly. We pray we'd trust wisely. We, we pray it so that we'd have fellowship with you, God, as Father, with the Lord Jesus Christ, with your Spirit, and have great joy amongst ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So I should have said, if we've not met, my name's Matt, Matt Fuller. I'm uh, uh, one of the ministers, the senior pastor here. 1 John chapter 1, um, just verses 1 to 4 tonight, just four verses. How long can that last? We'll see. Um, now, at this stage of the year, of course, all sorts all of things uh, start up again. My son has just started secondary school, and uh, that always brings back all sorts of, a sl- certain flood of memories for me of starting secondary school. Yes, the sort of oversized blazer and uh, a rucksack the size of a house on your back and uh, spelling retests early in the morning because you haven't bothered to learn things first time round. Uh, all very similar. Um, one difference is he's loving it, and uh, I didn't when I began school. Uh, my primary school, uh, a little village, uh, I lived in a little piddle in the middle, middle of nowhere, and um, uh, this, the school I went to was a very small primary school, not even a class for every year group, so in my class it was a year, be- kids a year below and a year below, and we all got taught together, and it was very warm and friendly, it was basically a big cuddle for five years or six years, and uh, I'm not sure we learned very much, but we loved one another, it was that sort of um, warm school, and then I went to secondary school, and it was... Um, it was the county grammar school, controversial. It was the county grammar school, and, um, oh, oh, it was slightly, it was different, because this was big, and it was 400-odd years old, and I went into the library, and there's gold Latin lettering all round the library, and more books I knew existed, and it was like Hogwarts to me at that stage of my life, and it was slightly intimidating and overwhelming, and I... I was a bit off the pace when I began from my little cuddle of a school. The standards were much higher. So term one, I was getting Ds in everything, the occasional C. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I shouldn't be here. And my parents thought, "Uh uh-oh, he shouldn't be there. (laughs) And uh, I remember vividly a a meeting with the head of year group, uh, head of the first year, as they used to call things in those days, uh, Mr. Bishop. And uh, my mum and dad said, well, we're worried about his grades. We're not sure he should be there. And I was like, um, and he just said, you are fine. You're fine. Yes, you belong in this school. And give it a couple of terms. Certainly by the end of the first year, you'd have caught up. You're fine. You completely belong there. And it was a word of reassurance that I absolutely needed at that stage. I was slightly freaking out uh, about what was going on. And sometimes you need that, that sort of word of reassurance. I can remember a a few years later uh, at the school being told, right, you can go and train with the first 11 football team. (gasps) Big boys. And uh, going and training with them and saying, sir, I don't think I should be here. Uh, And again, Mr. Brewington. Mr. Brewington was the sports coach. He said, no, you're right. You belong here. You should train with these guys. You sure? Yes, absolutely. And again, it was a word of reassurance. I was in the right place. I belonged, and sometimes you need that. A couple of years later, I remember uh, actually being sent to uh, county trials for the county football team and thinking, I am completely out of my depth, and saying to the coach afterwards, I don't think I belong here. And he said to me, no, lad, you're quite right. Don't bother coming back. (laughs) You are simply not good enough for this level. And, uh, you know, there it is. That's when the career came to an end. But um, at my school and in that team... I belonged. I had my doubts, I had my worries, but I belonged. I just needed a word of reassurance from the guy in charge. You are meant to be here. The letter of 1 John is a word of reassurance. 
you get, I would suggest, the key purpose statement of the letter in chapter 5. It's always slightly odd to say one verse sums up a whole book or a whole letter, but this is not bad because he, he's outlining his purpose in writing chapter 5 and verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I write these things to you. Why do you do that, John? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, read it carefully. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you may have eternal life, but so you may know that you have it. Verse 13, I'm writing these things to those who believe so you know you have eternal life. So I take it from what John's writing, it's possible to believe in the name of the Son of God but not know you have eternal life. That is, he seems to be suggesting, and we'll see that in the letter, it's possible to be a Christian but go through and live the Christian life thinking, I don't know. I'm a bit uncertain. Do do I belong? Does God really love me now I've done that? Can he really forgive me? Uh, My behavior is a bit odd at the moment. Am I really a Christian? He says, oh, it's quite possible to believe in Jesus but not know you've got eternal life. And I I don't want you to live like that. That's not meant to be how the Christian life is. I'm writing to this to Christians who who believe in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, verse 13, that you have eternal life. I want you to be confident in that. That's why he's writing. So John is writing to Christians to say, you are the real deal. You belong in God's church. Now, why is he writing that at this time? Well, it seems to be obvious from the letter that there are some who were unsettling them. So there are some, what do you want to call them, false teachers, bogus teachers, who have come into the churches that John is writing to and saying, I don't know about you lot. You're not as impressive as me. You're not as impressive as us. We are superior. You are second grade. I'm not even sure you are Christians. So we'll get there as we work our way through the letter. But if you just look, for example, at chapter 2 and verse 19, here is John describing those who are unsettling the believers. Chapter 2, verse 19, the false teachers. They went out from us, that is, they'd been in the church. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, that's not Shakespeare, I know, but you get his point. There are a group of people who, who used to belong to the church And now they've left and said, you're all losers in that church. They've moved. And it just shows they were never really with us. And so what I want you to do in the face of this false teaching, we'll get there, we'll get there in time. But uh, just below that, chapter 2, verse 24. Don't be unsettled, but verse 24, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you'll also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised to eternal life. So don't move on. You are the real deal, says Paul, excuse me, says John to these Christians. You are the real deal. Just keep believing the same things. Keep living that way. You're fine. Don't be unsettled. Now, if you've looked at this book before, uh, 
just one other comment on, on how it's structured. If you've looked at this book before, you know, it's, um, people talk about the three tests in the letter of 1 John. That's not a great word, really. But it's a cyclical book. It goes through these same three sort of tests, if you will, uh, again and again. So a test of orthodoxy, a test of obedience, a test of love. That's not a good word. Um, but orthodoxy, do you believe that Jesus Christ is a real historical man who was God? Do you believe that? It comes through, that gets repeated in the letter. Obedience, do you do what God says? Do you obey him? And then thirdly, love, do you love one another? Those three go through, well, depends how you cut it up, but certainly three times you go through that. Now, test is not a good word. Evidences might be better. Some people have read this letter of 1 John a bit like an exam. Well, okay, am I a Christian? Well, let me take the exam. Do I believe that Jesus is, uh, is a real historical man? Son of God? Most of Do I obey God? Oh, I don't know, sometimes. Do I love other Christians? Ooh, it's touch and go, whether I get a pass. It's not meant to be read like that. It's not an exam. It's more, more John is wanting to say, look, here is evidence that you really are a believer. It's your certificate of passing. So look, I managed to dig these out. Here is, uh, if, if you want a good time, here's uh, something you could do later on tonight. Uh, I went on to Tinternet, and here is the uh, A-level history paper from this year. That'd be a great 90 minutes well spent, I would have thought, uh, to do that. You might not want to, but um, here it is. So, uh, you know, if you may remember such things, it's A-level history paper. So 18-year-olds who are sitting this up and down the country in the summer. Um, pretty normal thing, time allowed, one hour, 30 minutes, use a black ink or ballpoint pen, la, 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 la. Uh, answer two questions. Oh, brilliant, two questions. Much better than maths. Um, and uh, you choose your two questions. How successful in, in improving conditions for the working classes were the reforms introduced by the Tory government in the years 1822 to 1829? How important was the Anti-Corn Law League in bringing about the repeal of the Corn Laws in 1846? Now, um, how do you feel about that as an exam? I sat this paper years ago. It's not quite obviously the same paper, similar. I used to teach this stuff. But I, I think I could have a pretty good go at it. But I'd rather not. Because <laughs> actually, I don't really enjoy doing exams. Much better is this. Here is my A-level, <laughs> A-level certificate saying I've got a pass in history A-level. A bit more than a pass, I'll have you know. But... Um, <laughs> Now, 1 John is much more the certificate. You've passed. You belong. You're in. It's not the exam. Because the exam has uncertainty. And it's meant to be a word of reassurance. And so John says, no, look at what you believe. You do believe the right things, don't you? And look at how you obey the word of God. You do obey the word of God. You're, you're genuinely... And look at how you treat one another. Look at how you love one another. You're the real deal. Don't be unsettled. It's a word of reassurance. So as we'll, we work our way through the letter over the next uh, few weeks this term, you'll see that 1 John is evidence, objectively, that Christianity is true, and subjectively, for Christians, his encouragement that you're the real deal. It's both of those. And he starts off with this magnificent paragraph in uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, stressing that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, because we'll see later on in the letter that was being denied. Okay? So we're just doing these four verses tonight. 
And uh, I've put the logic on the back of your sheet. I'm sure it'll appear on the, uh, the magical screen behind me. But the logic goes a bit like this. The apostles met the word of life, Jesus. The apostles proclaim the word of, to us. And then two implications. It means we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And we can share joy with others. Okay? So there's two steps of logic and two implications. Let's have a look at it. First then, the apostles met the word of life. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning. So not dissimilar to how he begins. John's gospel in the beginning was the word. But anyway. We met him. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Chapter 5, verse 11 will tell you that's Jesus. Now it's evidential language, isn't it? So God became a man and verse 1, we heard him. We've seen him. We've looked at him. We've touched him. We are ear witnesses. We are eyewitnesses. We are... Touch witnesses, don't know what that means. Tactile witnesses, don't know. But we, we've seen him. We met God. Uh, again, you get it, verse 2. Uh, the life appeared, Jesus. We've seen it or him. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. John is stressing and stressing and stressing. God became a man and we met him. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. If you'd have been there in the first century... You could have met him too. You could have sat at the desk in your office next to him. You could have had him in your face on the tube as you traveled to work. You could have gone to Starbucks. He'd have served you your coffee. You could have met him, seen him, heard him, touched him. We did, says John. That's me and the other disciples in particular. We, we heard him, met him. John's point is, There was a real historical man, Jesus Christ, and he was God come down to earth. Now, if you're a Christian, you may take that for granted. If you're not, you may be uncertain. But let me me give you one point of comparison. So I don't know if many of you uh, uh, read this book. It came out a couple of years ago. You can get it in paperback and cheaper now. Uh, Or Kindle them for pennies, I'm sure. Um, uh, So Tom Holland's book, uh, In in the Shadow of the Sword. So Tom Holland, professional historian, had uh, published a few things. But this was his book about the rise of Islam. And it caused a stink. Now, he wasn't saying anything new. He was saying things that, uh, I guess, professional academics had known and talked about for a long time. But he's a popular historian. He put it in a mainstream book that people actually read. And so it caused a massive stink when it came out. Why? Because, he said, you do know there is no written record of the existence of Muhammad for 170 years after his death. Nothing. Nothing written down. 170 years is a long time. What do you compare that to? Imagine there was nothing, no written evidence of the existence of, what do you want to say, Napoleon Bonaparte until about 25, 30 years ago. Nothing. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Did he exist, really? Nothing written down. No evidence 
of Wellington. No Trafalgar Square, nothing. Nothing written down. Wow. This, this is nothing new, this is not news, but Tom Holland sort of put it in a popular book that sold quite a bit and caused a bit of a stink, as you can imagine why. John is saying, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him, we chatted with him, he taught us. And a few years later, within a generation, while we were still alive, we wrote it all down. And so Matthew and Mark and John, all written down by eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus. Luke, a few years later, compiled his evidence from talking to all the eyewitnesses. You can be absolutely certain you've got the truth, says John. Because we wrote it down very soon afterwards, within a generation. So it's meant to be reassurance for believers. And rebuke those who are talking nonsense. This is the real deal. It's not hard to find. It's in the scriptures. So John says, look, the apostles, we the apostles, we met the word of life. And then what happens? Well, the apostles proclaim the word to us. To you and to me. They've been doing that for centuries because their words are recorded in the scriptures. See these repeated references to what the the apostles have done. So verse 1, this we proclaim. Verse 2, the life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. Not we subtly suggest to you, we make some sort of reference to you, we sort of whisper it to you, we proclaim it. There is no ambiguity and no uncertainty here. We met the man Jesus, we know the truth, we proclaim it to you. It's a very strong word, we proclaim. Uh, See if this works for you. Uh, So like a dozen, 15 years ago, I did a a very short stint uh, as an army chaplain and uh, uh, particularly based at Sandhurst, the Royal Military Academy, where they train the, uh, the officers. And um, you learn a few things in a place like that. Uh, one of them is there's the very high, um, of course, very high regard for rank in the army. And if an officer proclaims an order, you don't think about it. So here's kind of how it worked. You'd have the commanding officer, he was a colonel uh, at Sandhurst. He would issue orders to his majors uh, who would then issue the orders to the, uh, the cadets. And they were followed. So if the colonel said, today was shoddy, often slightly stronger language gets used, uh, uh, today was shoddy, uh, so tomorrow all the boys, all the men, all the cadets, an extra two hours on the parade ground. We've got to tighten up, sovereign's parade coming, la la la, whatever it may be. He gives that order to the majors. They proclaim it to the cadets. Now, no one there says, well, I don't know about that. The colonel might say an extra two hours on the parade ground, but does he really? Really? Because personally, I don't feel like doing that. And when I imagine the colonel, I imagine him saying to me, have a lion. Go out tonight for a few extra beers and don't worry about curfew. That's what I imagine the colonel is saying to me. It doesn't really work like that in the army. 
Colonel issues order, majors issue order, it is followed, because it's proclaimed. And John is saying, what happened was, we met with Jesus, he instructed us, he, as it were, gave us orders, and we proclaim it to you. And so your response is not to go, well, did Jesus really say that, John? Because personally, I like to think of Jesus saying to me, live however you want. I like, G- I like a Jesus who says to me, if it makes you happy, it must be good for you. That's the sort of Jesus. I don't like the one you proclaim. Well, tough, says John. That ain't how it works. We met Jesus. He instructed us. We proclaim it to you. The implication is, follow him. Oh, if you don't want to, get out, in one sense. But don't pretend you're following him. Don't pretend you belong if you don't. But that's the implication. You follow him. If Jesus Christ is a real historical man who was God, you listen to him. You can't think, I oh, can't say, oh, I like to imagine God as. No. I've told you what he's like. I've told you what he says. Follow him. My father, some would know, my father doesn't have a huge amount of time left to live. He'll die in the next couple of months. Uh, he's moved considerably. He used to be very hostile to Christianity. He would refuse to engage, refuse. If I said, Dad, we need to speak about Jesus, he'd get up and say, you repeat it, and I'm walking out the room, and he would. He was hostile for a long time. He's softened quite a lot. Now when we meet, I'll read the Bible, and we'll chat a little bit with him. Um, and I'll say, Dad, do you believe that's true? Do you, do you now trust in Jesus? In my own way, I do. Dad, that's not good enough. You, you trust in Jesus his way or you don't. You've got no choice in that. John says, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. We touched the eternal God become man. We proclaim him to you. Listen to him. He is God. Listen to him. The apostles met the word of life. The apostles proclaim the word, Jesus, to us. Two implications, then we're done. Two implications. The first is this. We can have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Verse 3. Here's the purpose. So verse 3. We proclaim to you, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that, here's why we've done it, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship. It's a sort of technical term, I guess. Partnership will be an equal, equally good translation. It means you have invested resources together. So you might have friendship with someone who have a shared interest. You might like going to the football with them. You may follow the same team. And that's something you have in common. And that's nice. Or, or you may go to a concert with someone because they have the same taste in music, classical, pop, whatever it may be. And that's nice. But to have fellowship or partnership is actually you've invested resources together. You start a company together, whatever it may be. You, you've invested time, money, energy. That's fellowship. That's partnership. You invest something in a common project. And that's a rich thing. Now, you can get that in different spheres of life. Uh, to, you know, 
I've opened up this one, so let me keep pushing on it uh, tonight. I think it, the, the military is a place where you do get a rich sense of fellowship together because you invest lots of time, quite often in a small space. It's a little bit intimate. Uh, together. You go away together. You may well be depending upon the bloke next to you for your life. That is a significant investment. So it does create a very strong bond, I think, more, more than most areas of life in my very limited experience. You don't have to be around there long. I was at Sandhurst a few weeks, and before long, you're sort of windmill high-fiving, woo, every time you go out on exercise and you come back off the exercise, the adrenaline is just going nuts. Big, big sort of um, uh, chest bumps with, uh, with people, and then you realize some of the blokes are bigger than you, so it's um, But uh, it has that sort of strong sense of, uh, of being in fellowship or partnership together, uh, and yet there's a limit to it. Because you serve together and then you go and you dissipate and then you work in different things. Or often you serve together and you do work hard together, but actually you kind of hate the bloke as well. He really winds you up and you're only obeying him because of rank, etc., etc. But John says he has fellowship with the Father and his Son Jesus Christ. Partnership, intimate involvement with. That is extraordinary fellowship to have. I'm in partnership with God and his son. That's sensational. You know, quite often um, uh, in in Russian context or or, or Chinese as well, I think, um, if you're going into business, you need a house or a roof. It gets translated different ways. Uh, Most commonly roof, I think. You need a roof. And by that, uh, certainly in Russian business, it means you need someone powerful who's your sponsor. You need to have a silent partner. So if you're going into business, you kind of want Putin as your roof, as it were, because no one trumps him. You've got a silent partner who's very powerful. John is saying, I'm in partnership with God, the Father, and his son, Jesus Christ. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? That's pretty wonderful to be in partnership, to be in fellowship with them. And do you see how it works in verse 3? We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So if you want to have fellowship with God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, his Son, there is only one way of doing it. And that is you need to be in fellowship with the Apostles. Let me put that positively and then put it negatively. Positively. If you listen to the word of the apostles, what they proclaim, if you obey, if you follow it, you're in fellowship with God. If you trust the Jesus you meet that they proclaim to you, you're in fellowship with God and that's an extraordinary thing. You're in partnership with the living God. That is wonderful. If you do not trust the Jesus that the apostles proclaim, you cannot have fellowship with God. There is no other way to know the true and living God but through the witness, the testimony of the apostles. Do you see that? Implication, what we believe matters. 
John says, look, I, I want you to have fellowship with God and the Father. I want you to be certain of that. And therefore, he writes a book stuffed full of theology. So fellowship with God can never begin with, let me tell you about my experiences of God. Let me tell you what God means to me. Fellowship with God must always begin with the truth of the scriptures that the apostles proclaim. Now hear me rightly. Biblical Christianity is deeply experiential. It is wonderfully fellowship with the living God. Experiencing him. Magnificence. Knowing him. But that can only begin with being in fellowship with the word proclaimed by the apostles. There's no other way to know God relationally, experientially, truly, apart from the witness to Jesus Christ that the apostles give. Now, I guess that makes sense. Uh, this, this kind of works, kind of doesn't. I uh, Think of a football team, a football team, a modern premiership football team full of different nationalities. And uh, they come together and uh, they quite enjoy playing together. They quite enjoy uh, hanging out together. They, they play Nintendo all day long and occasionally train. And, um, uh, and they enjoy one another's company. And they kind of, they enjoy kicking a ball around. They're quite good at it. And they enjoy a bit of that. Um, but if they never listened to the manager... Or only a few of them listened to the manager and the rest didn't. That is going to be a dysfunctional football team. They're not going to work well together. And John here is saying, do you see, the, the only way you have fellowship with the living God is, is through us, through our proclamation, through the truth of Jesus Christ you get in the scriptures. And actually, the only way you have real fellowship with one another is in the truth. Otherwise, you can have a friendship, and that's nice. You can hang out together, and that's great. But a depth of relationship, that comes from believing the truth together. Which is what is the second little implication. We can have fellowship with the Father and the Son through the word the apostles proclaimed to us. And second, we can share joy with others. So he concludes verse four. We write this to make our joy complete. Our joy could be him and the other apostles. You see from the footnote, you could translate it perhaps your joy. In the end, I'm not sure the point is very different. Deep-rooted joy in the Christian faith can't be experienced on your own. It's experienced with others as you unite around the truth. John says, my joy cannot be complete if you're not with me in this if we don't have unity in this, which is just a striking truth. Your, I don't know how you want to phrase it, your, um, your joyometer this side of heaven, here it goes, woo, your joyometer this side of heaven, it, if you're not united to other believers, if you, if you just live the Christian life on your own, it can only ever go to four. That's an arbitrary number. It can only ever go halfway. It can never go all the way. You can only have a completeness of joy in, in unity with other believers. John is suggesting. And that's in the truth. Now in God's kindness, he has in this church family, and if you're visiting us tonight, I guess you wouldn't know that, but he has given us wonderful unity around the truth of the gospel. 
And there is real joy in that. Oh, look, a, a fellowship needs all sorts of things. It does need time hanging out and going for a drink together. It, it needs that. It, it needs sharing together in common experiences. It, it, you know, it, it's really healthy to be sharing together and serving together. And uh, It needs all those things. But actually, unity in the truth is absolutely foundational to a depth of joy. It's very frustrating if you say to someone, um, do, you, do, you, do you see God... Do you see the Lord Jesus, how wonderful he is? And someone next to you says, yeah, kind of. I don't really see him like you do. It's just frustrating. In a normal experience, you say to someone, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. Can you see that magnificent uh, display, that magnificent building over there? No, what? Which one are you looking at? I don't know. That one's all right. I don't know which one you look at. That's frustrating enough. But someone says, do you see God? Do you see him in all his attributes? Do you see him? And they say, well, kind of. But I don't think I see him like you. Whereas if someone says, yeah, I see him. I see him. And he is magnificent, isn't he? There is a unity there that underpins a depth of joy that you can't get anywhere else, John would suggest. Completeness of joy is found in flourishing with others as you're united in the truth of Jesus Christ. So you need lots of things to make a a happy fellowship, a a, a happy church. But the truth is right at the centre of them. Otherwise everything else is a bit, it's superficial. You might as well join a tennis club. You have fun, but there's no real unity of purpose together. Oh look, I had enormous fun uh, and sense of camaraderie, my brief stint in the military, let's just push that one for what it's worth. Um, but it comes to an end. Then you leave, and that's it. Whereas to find unity through the apostles in knowing Jesus Christ, having fellowship with him, Jesus Christ and the Father, that is a source of sensational unity and delight sharing in him together now and lasts forever never ends no frustration that's extraordinary John says you're the real deal you have a biblical faith that is fellowship with God through the truth the Christian life begins with the truth that the apostles proclaim You find joy through the truth that the apostles proclaim. You have fellowship with God through that truth. It's a wonderful thing. The Christian life is fellowship with God through the truth, experienced with joy. You're the real deal, he says. Don't go anywhere else. Don't move on. Just keep believing that together. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he left the glory of heaven. He came down to earth as a man and was seen, was heard, was touched uh, by those first apostles amongst others. But we have their word and, and their testimony and their witness, and it is a certain one. Uh, and so in hearing their testimony to you, we can know the Lord Jesus Christ. We can know he's real. We can know he's God become man. 
and uniting around that truth together, find great joy. We pray that we would do so more and more this year, that our joy would be complete as we have fellowship with you, with your son. We do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.